In previous weeks, we've been listening to different people talking about the disciples. And we finished last week, so I'm hoping that you've remembered everything you've learned. Um, But what John thought would be good would be to have a look at the ladies who were all part and parcel of the same group. Um, In the New Testament times, the teacher-learner method was the normal method of teaching. And Jesus used it to train his disciples. But he also used it to develop women. He wouldn't have chosen women because it wouldn't have been done in those days anyway. Um, But if you actually have a look at the women who followed Jesus, he was effectively teaching them. It just wasn't as obvious. So he was beginning to restore to the church the partnership of men and women which was lost at the fall. The fact that women were followers at all in a culture where few women were literate or had any formal education is in contrast to the accepted practices of the day. Women were not encouraged to leave their home in the rabbinic uh, laws. So I'm going to start with Mary Magdalene. I had to get all my Marys sorted out. I don't know about anybody else, but there's loads of them. (laughs) And they are actually all different. And I've chosen Mary Magdalene as one of my first ones. And there's so much to to learn about her, actually, if you look at other sources other than the Bible. The Magdalene bit is not her surname, they don't think but they think it's because she came from a place called Magdala, um, which was a fishing town on Galilee. Um, And they also think, and I I use that because it's not said in the Bible, that she was probably single because of having the name Mary Magdalene rather than her husband's name. Um, And she probably worked in the fishing industry. But... I don't know. If you look at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, Mary is one of the women who travelled with Jesus and helped support his ministry out of her resources. So she had money. She was probably fairly wealthy. which does sort of suggest that she earned money. As an aside, she was also tarred with the brush of being a prostitute, but but um, there is no evidence in the Bible that she was. Again, they think that she was... Um, people were trying to discredit her... Um, by suggesting that she was a a prostitute. That same passage in Luke 8 um, also states that seven demons had been driven out of her. Not something that we're familiar with today, but it sounds fairly horrific. (laughs) I have no idea what that meant she was like before Jesus uh, healed her.
Mary was present at the crucifixion. In Matthew chapter 27, it says, Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Mark 15 says something very similar. Um, Many other women who'd come up with him were there, and he lists Mary Magdalene first. Luke doesn't name her, just says some women, but John also names her specifically, so we can assume that she was there watching him being crucified. We're also told that Mary Magdalene was one of the women who kept vigil at the tomb. It was customary for Jewish women to prepare bodies for burial because corpses were considered unclean, so it was the women who had to make themselves unclean to save the men from doing it. It was the woman's task. When Mary goes to the tomb, Jesus' body isn't there. You've got the fullest account in John. She is in a state of shock. She's gone to deal with the body, and it's not there. And so she runs to the disciples to tell them. They don't believe her, which is fairly understandable, I guess. And Peter and another disciple return with her to see for themselves, see that he's gone, and then they run off, leaving her, sort of without a backward glance. But then something even more extraordinary happens because somebody speaks her name while she's still there and she thinks it's the gardener. And she is very sad. She says, they've taken my Lord's body and I don't know where it is. And then he says her name and she sees him. And she says, Master. Um, The word that she uses, Rabboni, meaning my great teacher. So it, it really demonstrates that that's what he was to her. Apart from the man who'd made her better from these demons. She desperately wanted to hold on to him. But Jesus entrusted the news of his resurrection to this lady who recognised who he was. I'm going to go on to Martha now. I used to feel very sorry for Martha because the story that we all remember is the one where she's doing all the washing up and the clearing up and the cooking and she gets cross because Mary's sitting and I so understand where she's coming from. <laughs> but when I've, while I've been studying this and looking at Mary as well as Martha, it's, it really came back to me what we've been learning over the weeks, that we're all different and we're all gifted in different ways and we're all unique and we all have our part to play. And Martha was a server. That's, that's who she was. And she shouldn't have been trying to make Mary anything else. And Jesus was very kind and gentle to her, saying, you know, I'm here. This is actually the most important thing. She um, lived with Lazarus and her sister Mary, another Mary. That's Mary of Bethany, because they lived in Bethany. Um, and she's first mentioned in Luke chapter 10. 
Jesus was well known to Martha and her siblings. In fact, he, it says he loved the family. So it's a very close, normal, loving relationship. On the day that Jesus visited, Martha's desire was to be a good hostess, to serve the best meal with the best possible presentation. For Jesus, it's clear she has a servant's heart. We can hear the unspoken longing behind her plea to Jesus in her home that day. She just wanted to serve her master and serve him well. Well intended doing is good, but not when it distracts us from the best. We see Martha again just after her brother Lazarus has died in John 11. The sisters had sent for Jesus when Lazarus fell ill, but he didn't arrive in time to heal him. When Jesus finally approached Bethany, four days after Lazarus' death, Martha, not Mary, Martha ran out to meet him. And what she says is quite mind-blowing. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's your first thing. Total faith in his healing. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. (coughs) She firmly believed Jesus could have healed Lazarus of his illness, and her faith is not diminished by the fact that Jesus had arrived too late. Jesus then encourages Martha with one of his I am statements. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he says, do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Quite a statement of faith. And this is before he'd been crucified. And then she saw her brother's resurrection from the dead. So... Her faith was rewarded. And then the third time um, we see uh, Martha in the Bible, she's serving again in Bethany. And it looks like the person who anointed his feet with the expensive perfume was her sister on this occasion. I'm not entirely sure whether that's right or not. But it does look like Martha was a woman of means because of the fact that she hosted people a lot and the expensive perfume that her sister had. So in Martha's life-changing encounters with Jesus, we see the importance of balancing service with worship, of trusting the Lord even when all seems lost, and of using our material resources for the glory of God. Keep forgetting to change this. I've just picked a random person, lady of the of my third, Joanna. Her name means Yahweh has been gracious. She's the wife of Chusa, steward to Herod Antipas. As the wife of an important court official, she'd have had sufficient means needed to travel 
and contribute to the support of Jesus and his disciples. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 2, we hear that she was among the certain women who'd been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. We don't know what of those she had, but she'd been healed. So she gave her life to him. And she's seen as one of the travelling company who go around preparing for Jesus and his disciples, meals, where they're going to stay, all of the stuff that went on around. So having freely received his healing touch, she freely gave of herself and her means for his welfare. She was among the women, it says in Luke 24 verse 10, who took spices to Jesus' tomb and found the stone rolled away. She was the wife of Chusa, who had means and influence, yet she was running around with Mary, the mother of Jesus, a young woman who many thought had had a son born out of wedlock. She could have been filling her days with palace goings-on and instead was following an itinerant Jewish carpenter who hung out purposefully with the tax collectors and fishermen. Joanna learned this sister-in-Christ behaviour from Jesus. We know that Jesus healed her. In grateful response, she could have still allocated her resources to his ministry, but she didn't. She decided to engage wholly. It does say, again, um, they say that it probably cost her husband his job and so therefore their livelihood because she was following Jesus Jesus elevated women by including them as disciples and at his resurrection he affirmed their ministry as messengers if it wasn't for the various ladies we wouldn't have all that's written in the gospels Mary, his mother, and the women were there after the resurrection, devoted to prayer and waiting for the future to unfold in Acts chapter 1. I'd never really noticed that verse, but the women were there along with the men. And when the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, everything changed. The prophecy of Joel that God would pour out his Spirit on all his people was fulfilled. Sons, daughters, young men, old men, even on my servants, both men and women. So women as well as men were equipped by God's spirit for all that he would call them to do. Jesus brought out a new attitude to women, recognising that what mattered was their response to God rather than the roles which society dictated for them. Yeah, what matters... It's not the role that is dictated to you by society. It's your response to God. Hello. This is very strange. Thank you. Fiona, for giving us such a brilliant um, lot of examples of the ladies who were with Jesus. 
And when John asked us to, to do this, uh, this service today and to look at the, the women, there was a phrase that, that kept coming to mind about them. When you think of the women who were with Jesus, the phrase that kept coming to me was the women followers of Jesus. And this is something that, that you hear talked about, isn't it? They were the women followers. And, and I thought, oh, okay, perhaps we can go with something to do with following and so that's what we're going to look at now in, in my little section here. Um, and we have, handily on the screen, a helpful Bible verse uh, to start us off. Uh, now, every Bible verse is helpful, obviously. Um, but we will have a, a few Bible verses just to help us understand, as we've been looking at over the last two months, what, uh, who were the disciples, what were they like, and what is a disciple anyway? So, this verse in Matthew 16, verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So, there we have it. To be a disciple, we have got to follow. Okay, so what does that actually mean? We've heard already from Fiona about the uh, three of the ladies there, and we know that in Jesus' time, um, the, the way that those ladies followed Jesus was, was slightly different because of their um, circumstances and setup in, in the time. They were not allowed to, to be students as such, and so it was, it was quite radical for Jesus to be teaching the women. Um, quite often, in fact, in those days, uh, the women would be the breadwinners uh, in the family so that the men... Uh, the young men could uh, go and, and spend their time with their teacher. Uh, and so it was the women who were, who were doing the breadwinner role. Now, of course, to us, that's completely opposite to what perhaps has been in our lifetime. Not so much nowadays, actually, but, you know, certainly within my lifetime, I remember a time when it was, it was the men did the, the you know, the, the breadwinning thing um, and the women were, were at home. The women were still at home back then, but... Um, they, they, would, uh, they would have resources, they would earn the money, which would enable um, the men to, to do their teaching and learning. Um, but um, obviously that, that's a kind of different setup to we have, to we have now. Um, but there are still things about following that I think we can learn. So this is where um, I would like us to look at the, the next slide, which you have already seen. Um, but I would like some... in. Mm, yeah, no, thank you for the helpful Bible verse again. Here we go. This is the one. Thank you, Paul. I'm, I do apologise to Paul because I did ask him at the very last minute, would he click these things because I was not at all confident of being able to speak and, and do that at the same time. Anyway, this is where I need your help, please. So, have a look at this picture. What can you tell me about following from, from this, this picture? So, how, how, what, what does that mean? They are close to one another. Thank you. Yes, that is a very good point. We will come in that. They are in close proximity. Anything else that you can see there? What? They're going in the same direction, aren't they? They are all going in the same direction. Uh, that way, yes. They do look like they're following the line, actually, don't they? I think this, this photograph was... Um, uh, from when some ducks invaded Wimbledon one year. So that's what, that's what the white line is. 
but uh, yes, but very well done. Yes, they are all going in the same direction. It looks like it, doesn't it? Yes. Ah, yes. That's a very good point. Anything else? Yes, following their mother or the leader or the one in charge. Yes. It doesn't matter. It matters not in this circumstances whether they are following a, their mother or their father, but they are following. They are all going in the same direction. They are in close proximity. And in order to be able to, uh, to follow, they actually do need to know who it is that they're following, which is going to be my third point. So let's, let's just run through these uh, three points I would like to make a point to you about following. One... We need to go, be going in the same direction as the person we're following. Yeah. It's so obvious, isn't it? But, you know, start equating that back to your own life, and it's like, ah. Um, and the, the other thing is that they, they are in pro, close proximity. And so we, too, need to be in close proximity, and we need to really know the person that we're following in order to be able to recognize them and to see uh, person. That is more helpful when it's th thinking about in a crowd. I'll come to that in a minute. So, going in the same direction then. What does it mean to be going in the same direction as Jesus? Now, this is actually a big scary one because I think what it really means is that you are giving him control. If you are not in charge of the direction you're going, it means you've given control to the person you're following, isn't it? Now, giving control to Jesus or to anybody else other than ourselves. I don't like that. I like being in control. But, you know, you can't follow if you're going off and doing your own thing. It's so simple. Not easy, I'm, I'm saying. Simple, but, you know, very, very difficult to put in, into practice. We need to know that he has to be the master rather than us trying to think we can run things by ourselves, which is my tendency, certainly. It's quite scary to give control to somebody else, especially when we don't know what, what is going on or what will come down the path at us. And this is where the old trust, trust, trust thing comes back in again that we've just all been singing about. As Fiona said, um, uh, well-intended doing is good, but not if it distracts us from what is best. And sometimes we have to have the right balance in our lives, like thinking about giving control to Jesus, um, between the doing and the being still. Can we have our next helpful Bible verse, please? Somebody texted me this verse this week, and it really struck me that sometimes we don't have to be doing, sometimes we just have to be still. Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you, you need only to be still. Now that's not, you know, that was written for, you know, to a specific people at a specific time, but it just is a reminder to us that not always have we got to be running about in doing our action um, and 
are we making time to be still, to make sure of the one who's in control? So, that's going in the same direction. That means giving control to Jesus. Not easy, but okay. Proximity then. In order to be close to to Jesus, what's that all about? Obviously, back in the day, the disciples were close with him. They spent a lot of time with him. And at that time, if you were invited to to follow um, a rabbi, it was an incredible privilege because it meant that you were recognised as being somebody who uh, was a really good student, that you know, they basically wanted you to be in their gang because you were the, the, you were the top notch and, and definitely worth having in their followers because they, they were going to get um, you know, glory rubbed off from, from how good you were. You were obviously going to uh, do well what, what you were being taught, this kind of thing. So it was a, a real um, uh, big honour to be asked to follow. Um, and this is why it's such an amazing thing that Jesus was asking people to follow him that were completely, you know, not thought of as, as being the best of the best and, and the people that other people would have chosen. Um, he, in fact, did have a, a, a lot of ragtag and bobtail people, as we've been hearing about in the last few weeks. Um, But the idea of spending a lot of time with your rabbi and the disciples spending time with Jesus was obviously that you get to know your teacher and that you can observe them, that you can learn from them and that you become like them. That that was the whole point in the, the spending a lot of time together in the being in close proximity with. And that just makes complete sense, doesn't it? If you spend a lot of time with somebody, you get to know them, you become more like them. I'm not sure how actually I do know I think I have become more like John since we've been married yes I think you know well you do you you find this in your own relationships I'm sure you can you can think of people that you spend time with and you think yes actually they influence me and I influence them that's how it works so of course when we're trying to follow Jesus then we need to be getting to know him we need to be understanding more and how we do that we're reading the bible we're praying we're we're doing all the, you know, all the things that we know that we need to do. And linked very closely with that is another scary word. The scary word for about uh, going in the same direction was control. The scary word about proximity is obedience. There is absolutely no point in spending a lot of time with Jesus and learning about everything he has to say and do and learning what we should be doing if we then don't do it. So, uh, being in close proximity needs to have the scary word obedience with it. That's what I'd like to, 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 to put on you today. Um, we have a, a, another Bible verse, please. Helpful Bible verse, John eight thirty one. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So, there we have it from the words of, um, of Jesus himself. Hold to my teaching. In other words, be obedient and you will be a disciple. <coughs> now, we, we have lots of ways. You know, he's given us his Bible, so we, we're gonna, we do that. Um, there is also um, um, a, a case of getting to know him and, and understanding in any kind of situation what he might be saying because we, there isn't always a, a Bible verse for every given situation that we're in, is there? 
Um, but as we get to know God, as we spend more time with him, we become familiar with the principles and we are able to apply those in our lives. And can I have the next Bible verse, please? His sheep follow him because they know his voice. So as we're following, we know his voice. At least it goes hand in hand. When we know his voice, we will follow him. Do you see what I mean? Um, And that is is all to do with, uh, again, becoming familiar with what he would be doing in our situation and how we can apply his word to to our daily lives. So how can we become become more like him? We need to be in close proximity and we need to be obedient. And it was an incredible honour to be asked to follow somebody back in the day and it is an incredible honour that Jesus has called us to follow him. So let's grab hold of that as well. Okay, Uh, last one then. Uh, Knowing who it is that we're following. Now this point I wanted to make was just because if you imagine trying to follow somebody in a crowd, um, it's, it's quite difficult uh, following somebody in a crowd. And so I was trying to equate what it's like following Jesus in our everyday lives. Our everyday lives are very busy and full, and there are lots of distractions, and it's, it's quite difficult sometimes to follow Jesus and to be obedient and uh, to give him control uh, because we're, we're so, you know, all over the place all the time. It, it, it's just busy. Um, and so this is where the picture of following somebody in a crowd um, came to mind. If you know who you are following or you know who you are looking for in this crowd, then it's much easier to see them and to follow them. So if you know that they are wearing a red coat, John, for example, is very helpfully tall, And he has got a coat with quite a bit of red on it. So if I lose him in Sainsbury's or in Asda or in town or anywhere, I I generally know if I look up and I look for a bit of a red coat, I'll I'll often find him. And And it's a bit like that. It's the same with finding your car in a car park, isn't it? If you've got a bit of a taller car than somebody else, which John helpfully has... Then, um, then you can you can see it easier. Or if you get a bright yellow car, exactly, much easier to find. But it's a question of knowing what you're looking for. And so I wanted to equate that for you for for living every day with Jesus and trying to follow Him. It's all about getting to know who He is, because then it's much easier. And the other thing about um, knowing Him is realizing that then it's not just all about me. It's not just about me living and doing my thing. What we need to be doing is seeing other people the way that he sees them and loving them the way that he loves them, being compassionate, having his heart for the lost. So in terms of following Jesus, it's not just a case of struggle, struggle, I need to try and follow him. It is actually then a case of living in such a way that is giving out the way that he has given to us. There is another helpful Bible verse. This is the last one. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. 
He has given us so many helpful Bible verses in telling us what to do. It, it really is quite straightforward in terms of understanding what we need to do. The difficulty comes in actually doing it. But nobody said this is going to be um, a five-minute thing. I can't find any verse in the Bible that says, click your fingers and you'll be following him every day easily for the rest of your life. It just doesn't seem to work like that. It seems to be a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong learning process. And that's why I'm, I'm guessing that the disciples had such a lengthy time with Jesus and the, the, um, the students in, in that time had lengthy times with their teachers because it takes time to, uh, to take all that in and, and to actually apply it. So Jesus really did throw out the cultural rule book when he was uh, dealing with the women uh, back in his day when he was on the earth. And we've seen a bit about what being a woman follower or an anybody follower of, of God is, is like. It's all about going in the same direction, which means giving him control. It's all about being in close proximity, which means being obedient. Mm. And it's about knowing who we're following so that it's easier for us to do that following. I'm going to pray now and then hand over to Fiona and we're going to have some more response time. God, thank you for many pictures and things, words in your Bible that help us to understand what it is to follow you. Lord, I pray that you will help each of us to take on board what it is we need to know about following you for today and this coming week and enable us to put that into practice. God, we know that you don't ask us to be perfect straight away because we know we aren't. But Lord, we thank you that you are working with us and helping us to follow you. Help us to continue to pursue you, to know you better, and to be obedient and to give you control. Amen.